powered by GoGoat Sports in partnership with TSN, episode 34, season four of the Rain Riggs Hockey Podcast. And it is presented by our good pals, Canadian Club Whiskey. We've got uh, Buffalo Sabres general manager, Kevin Adams, joining us in episode 34, Ray. And you know, I'm going to start with Kevin and, and just, you know, get him to look back and, and, you know, could have he predicted that this team at the 43 game mark, they have games in hand, would be as competitive as they are. They've got work to do to, you know, drive back into the playoff picture, but they're nibbling. They're nibbling. And there's been a ton of progress. There's been some great individual stories. So that's what we're, we'll, where we will start with Kevin, a regular guest for us, Dave Nonis of the podcast. I heard him on a radio segment. I think it was last week project that Buffalo is is making the playoffs. Now, he didn't tell us who wasn't making the playoffs, which is the trickier part when you look at the East. But are you that bold? Are you that bold to think that the Sabres are a playoff team? No, I don't think so. Um, I'm not that not bold enough on that. I, I'm just looking, Drake's, I'm just pulling up the standings now. Yeah. And the reason being is I've got to take one team out. Yeah. And so it's hard. It really is because if if Buffalo's going to get there, they've got to leap. Right now, they've got to leap Florida, the Islanders, yeah, to get into ninth, and then it's right. either the Caps or the Penguins. Yeah, I mean, those are one of the. If somebody's missing, it's one of those two teams. It's the Caps or the Penguins. And I thought Washington might be a little wobbly at the start of the year. They've they've really done a pretty good job given the way their roster's been decimated. And Tom Wilson will get better as the year goes on, but. Right. I'm really excited watching Buffalo, of course, you know, watching Donnie Granado, our my brother in law yeah. coach, and watching Tage Thompson have this monster year and just think I just think they're a little short this year. Although, and we'll get into this with Kevin, they've got lots of moves they can make mm-hmm. to to address what they feel they yeah. have to. All right, Kevin Adams of the Buffalo Sabres, our guest on Ray and Regs, the hockey podcast. Headlines again this season presented by our friends at Boston Pizza. And uh, obviously we feel the need to weigh in on the Ivan Provorov situation, his decision not to participate in the Philadelphia Flyers Pride Night by wearing a Pride jersey in warm-up earlier this week. I mean, man, did that light diffuse on a powder keg, as you would expect. You know, I've spoken to a number of people about this, including those from the Philadelphia Flyers. And I understand the reaction. I understand how significant that reaction was, is. To a point, I can appreciate the Flyers' position on this, Ray, to allow Provorov to have a freedom of choice. And it's not like this was knee-jerk and Provorov woke up the morning of and said, hey, by the way, guys, I'm Russian Orthodox and my faith dictates that I I can't wear that jersey. I can't participate in this ceremony. Uh, they they talked about this at varying levels for a week. And most important to me anyway, Ray, is that Scott Lawton, James Van Riemsdyk, the leaders of that Flyers dressing room, you know, went at Provorov several different ways as a teammate, as leaders, tried to encourage him to reconsider. And we're hopeful that he would reconsider basically, you know, right before warm-up and he didn't do that. I guess the one thing that I was reminded of from someone inside that room, Ray, inside that Flyers room is, do we learn from this? Can this pull us closer together as a group, this experience? We know Lawton and JVR do a ton of work in the LGBTQ plus communities, right? We know this. We know this. So 
as I was reminded, if the support for initiatives like this was 100%, guess what? You wouldn't need to have Pride Nights, right? You wouldn't need to have them. So I'm not for a second advocating, condoning, or supporting. I, I don't even respect what Provorov did. But the takeaway for me is that so much good is done by the NHL, by the players individually, stuff we never see about or read about. Let's not let one individual in the sea of good work done by the National Hockey League and the Philadelphia Flyers spoil all of what has taken place to this point. What about your thoughts? Well, I mean, there's so many ways to look at it. And you can, you know, I found myself looking at it from as many different ways as yeah. I could to try and get my head around around it. I got to be honest with you. I'm no expert on the Russian Orthodox religion. You know, no, I, no. I just don't know. And yeah. so I have to take him at his word that, that that is part of their doctrine and that he lives his life by the Russian Orthodox doctrine. I mean, I, I don't know enough about it to, to cast a, mm -hmm. a dispersion at it. The Flyers are in a tough spot here in the sense that Patrick Burke and, and their group, you can, the, you can play group. Yeah. Yeah. They said that the Flyers are among the, the most, um, uh, most involved, mo one of the earliest, uh, supporters of their group. And yet here they are in the middle of this thing. To think that 700 players in the NHL or 1,500 players in Major League Baseball or however many are in football all think the same or all are supportive of everybody's rights is, is foolish because that is, that's not society. And mm. so this is Ivan Provorov's decision. It's also could have been the Flyers' decision that we're just not going to play it tonight. I mean, right. that, that could have been the way to go as well. I mean, I, I don't support his decision. Provorov's mm. decision, but it's his decision. And so yeah. we all have to get our heads around that one one person doesn't grenade the whole thing. They really don't. It, it's no. it's his it's his view. And I do think Dregs as well, um in kind of in a bizarre timing way, the Flyers management is was not there. They're at their scouting meetings. And so the entire grouping of management was not mm. in Philadelphia. And so it kind of all came to a head and it left the players and John Tortorella kind of like, it's just us. Yeah. So this is what they decided. I, when I saw that he wasn't going to go for warm up, I was like, Oh boy, yeah. this is, you know, this is going to explode and inflame and agitate people that have legit complaints that they, they have legit concerns about this and they shouldn't. Mm -hmm. I can't support Provorov. Uh, but it is a way, perhaps, to take a look forward about what, what's the next step. You're right. If it was 100% uh, agreement, there would be no need for, for special supportive nights because it would just be there. This yeah. is a great example, again, of why these nights are so valuable. Hi, it's Ray Ferraro. You've probably heard me talking about my friends at North Beach Agency and Craft Growth. They provide customized marketing solutions tailored to help grow businesses of all sizes. From results-driven marketing across TV, radio, and podcasts to websites, digital, social, out-of-home, and everything in between, they have the proven expertise to get the measurable results you need to get your business growing. You can visit craftgrowth.net and book your free business growth consultation now. That's craftgrowth.net. All right, Ray, 
from a tough situation, not just in Philadelphia, but around the league to the ice. Steven Stamkos scores his 500th plus and records his 11th hat trick. So 11th career hat trick. It comes to the expense of the Vancouver Canucks. But I don't know. Do you want to lump Tampa Bay, New Jersey together? I mean, these are teams that are on, you know, five game winning streaks right now. So, so clearly they're making noise and they're solidifying their spot in the Eastern Conference, even though where they're positioned as high as they are in the NHL standings, it's hard to make ground because the teams ahead of them are playing equally well. But first, you know, a thought on Stamkos and not just the milestone of 500 and 500 plus NHL goals, but just how his career has kind of ebbed and flowed and, and most of it because of, of injury. And the healthy Steven Stamkos, no different than anyone else, is superstar, borderline superstar NHL player. Well, he's a Hall of Fame player. Um, yeah. He is, you know, his trajectory was was quite remarkable prior to his broken leg in Boston. And that injury was devastating to him and really took him a long time to to get back to where he was skating more freely. And really, then his hips started to bug him. And he, need, you know, remember he played the one game in the playoffs in the bubble, he scored and that was it. You know, that yeah. he knew right away that he was done and needed another surgery. And it, I can't underestimate or... I can't underestimate as I talk about how difficult it is to play when your legs can't take you to where you need to go. And it, mm. and it's not that you're not fast enough. It's your health doesn't allow you to do it. And mm. for a long time, I found uh, Stamkos to be pretty stationary on the ice. And I can only assume that he just couldn't skate to where he needed to get to. He doesn't look like that anymore. Right. He had a stat last night, Dregs, that just blew me away. I don't know. I don't know what I expected the number to be, but you mentioned that Stamkos 11th hat trick. Mm -hmm. A, I thought that was remarkably low. I'm like, he's only got 11? Yeah, it did sound low. 500 goals. He scored in 42% of the games he's played. (laughs) I found that just remarkable. Like, unbelievable that he could be that consistent. And we'll talk about that on the game tonight, you know, as I'm doing Tampa Bay at Edmonton here. I just find that remarkable, his consistency. There's also one other thing they had. He was the eighth player in history to score his 500th goal on a hat trick. I was in one of the games. Mark Messier scored his 500th against the Calgary Flames, and um, he got three goals in that that win at MSG. And I remember after the game, we were sitting at the mirror, you know, like getting ready, and I'm like, and he scored two of the goals like that, you know, that, He'd go down the right wing and he'd kick out his right leg. Yeah, and he'd yeah. And I remember saying to him, do these goalies not have a highlight tape? Like you've scored <laughs> the same goal 300 times. And he just, well, he laughed, right? But but so I was a remarkable thing. You, you know, those guys were at goal 497 and they got 498, 499, yeah. five, yeah. stamp goes 500, 501, 502. Mm-hmm. Back to the two teams though. If you take away Boston, which, I mean, they've got five losses this year. Yeah. It's unbelievable. But you go from Carolina's got nine losses, Devils have 12, Toronto's got 11, Lightning got 13, and the Rangers have 13. Those are regulation losses. Yeah. The top of that conference is murder. I know. Like they're going to be, like that first round is going to be a calamity again. Like getting in, out of In that. a bad way though, right? Yeah, because, because these the good, good teams team, are getting punted. 
they're getting punted early that it's almost like I'm not a great college basketball fan, but the the first weekend of March Madness is so good. Yeah. I think the tournament gets less interesting as you go along because the chaos of the first weekend is amazing. That's what the first round of the NHL playoffs are going to look like, certainly in the East. But the Devils are good. Uh, Vanacek has given them top caliber goaltending that they've not had. Remember last year? They used seven guys. This year in Tampa Bay, I didn't know this till early in the year when John Cooper told us over half their team doesn't have a Stanley Cup. We think of the Lightning as veteran and repetitive and experienced and half of their guys don't have a cup. They've been traded away or moved along because of cap concerns, et cetera, et cetera. But there is a Tampa way. And that stems starts with Cooper and goes through Stamples and Hedman. And then of course they got, you know, Vasilevsky there to erase a lot of mistakes. But man, that's those are two really good teams, the Devils and and the Lightning. Two you do it different as well, eh, Adre. They do it different. Yeah. Well, we'll wrap up headlines with this, and we'll talk to Kevin Adams about what his vision is of the trade deadline looming March 3rd. He's probably not going to show his cards, but, you know, what's what's the Buffalo Sabres approach? It's it's frustrating in my world, and, and you know, you want to be entertained by not just the game, but the stuff that goes on around the game. And when we're talking about that, we're talking about trade speculation. But it also reaches a point where you just go, I'm tired of talking about the same stuff over and over because it doesn't happen. You know, of course, the managers talk to one another on a consistent basis. That's part of their job. But dialogue changing to trade action, it just doesn't seem to happen anymore in the National Hockey League because of a hard cap system. We've talked about this before on the podcast. Our buddy, Carlo Koliakovo, tweets about it all the time. The notion of a luxury tax or something that would stimulate more trade activity more entertainment for the fans. I don't think we're going to see it in the Gary Bettman era just because Bettman has made a priority of protecting owners and general managers from themselves, hence the hard cap. But has it reached a point where the league, from, again, an entertainment perspective, Ray, desperately needs something to inject that type of creativity and flexibility to to allow these deals to get done well in advance of the deadline? Well, I mean, I'm frustrated by it too, but I'll start from the league's perspective. You can't underestimate. And, and I think you might know Carlos kind of an emotional guy. Oh boy. Know this. Like from bills to leaves, oh, yeah. everything. Yeah. So like he wants to blow the system up. That's not oh, going to yeah. happen. <laughs> and, but from the league's perspective, the pandemic cannot be overlooked in that a lot of the problems I believe stem from contracts that were signed before the pandemic, assuming the cap was going up on the projections that they had, and then it got smashed with a steamroller. And so the cap has been flat. Like people say flat cap, and I don't think they take the, the implication of what that really means. There's no growth, but the contracts are still on the cap that you'd Mm -hmm. already signed before the cap flattened out. So that's why I think the league will be really reluctant to do anything because they'll say, look, after next year, the cap's going to go up X number of dollars, then X plus number of dollars. And they'll, they'll tell you that there'll be more flexibility. Yeah. The one thing that I'd like to see, yeah. The one thing I'd like to see though, and I think, I don't think you need to change the system because that's a far more involved, longer negotiation. I've been a proponent to take one salary and be able 
to franchise cap that salary. So each June 20th or 25th, because free agency starts on July 1st, each team designates one salary for that year that comes off the books. So it might be Connor McDavid this year. It might, but then Leon Dreisaitl comes up for a contract and he leapfrogs him. So it might be Leon Dreisaitl the next year. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be the same salary all the time. But each June 25th, you can take that salary and put it into your franchise tag. If you do that, that gives you another $12.5 million cap room. Owner, if it's McDavid, owners can do it or not do it. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Up to them. It still keeps the salary floor in, in the same place. It keeps the salary upper limit in the same place. But you're allowed to take one salary and take it outside the player pool and put it in this franchise tag. To me, it opens up space, it opens up flexibility, and it doesn't decimate the system. I like it. I like it. And Carlo and I have gone back and forth on a luxury tax. He's a proponent of a luxury tax, you know, so then you enhance revenue sharing. So it balances the haves versus the have nots. For me, that gets a little bit more complicated. And, and then I also ask, okay, well, what's, what's, what's the give back that Bettman is going to request? You know, like to alter the system to that point, you know what he's going to ask for. Okay. Well, we'll eliminate guaranteed contracts. That that's given. All right, buddy. Headlines once again this season presented by our friends at Boston Pizza. Thanks to BP. Interviews on Ray and Dregs this year brought to you by Canadian Club Whiskey, who are asking, are you over beer? Why not try refreshing CC ginger ale next time you're having a drink and you're watching a game? All right, we're now joined on the Rain Dregs Hockey Podcast by Kevin Adams, the general manager of the Buffalo Sabres. And, you know, Ray and I were talking a little bit earlier, Kevin, and teeing up the interview about the Buffalo Sabres and the strides that this team has made. But take us back to the beginning of the year. And it's it's probably a dangerous game when you're trying to guess, prognosticate where you think you're going to be at the midpoint of the season. Are you a playoff team? You hope, you anticipate. All of those things. But you're 43 games in now as we record this. Six points out of a wild card spot. If you look back to the start of the season, did you expect that you would be a team that would be nibbling at a playoff spot at this stage? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a, it's really interesting question. It's, it's probably the question I get asked the most from whether it's talking to people in the media or just people in town or in my own family. You know, hey, yeah. what, what do you think? The honest answer is, you know, I didn't know going into the season. And the reason is because of how young we are. And what I really felt and knew as we built this team, you know, last couple of years and in start of the season was going to have a ton of talent. We're going to have people that are going to compete hard. We're going to have kids that truly care and want to be here and are doing this the right way. We have a great coaching staff. We have buy-in. What you don't know is like, okay, is Dylan Cousins going to take the step that he's taken? Is Owen Power going to be able to, you know, be the defenseman right away that we all know he he has been this year, yeah. but also will be in his career? Rasmus Dahlin, just start going down the list. And then, you know, those are just the young guys. But then you look at guys like Tage and Alex Tuck and you say, okay, this is we know we've seen so far, but we all believe they have steps that they can keep taking to become better and better, which they're doing. So with all that being said, that's the unknown, but I didn't want to say, here's an expectation of exactly where we be. But I guess what I would say is we're learning. 
We're a team that, in my opinion, is starting to identify ourselves in the way we play, the roles and responsibilities within the team. And we didn't have that a year ago. We didn't have that even at game one this year. Mm -hmm. And what I get excited about is the growth that I'm seeing. And I know we're in a better spot now than we were game one. And now we have to continue to get better. Plenty of teams make the, I won't say misguided, but it's like predictable view of they look at the tail end of one year when their team is is excited and playing well and they're, you know, they're cleaning up points on teams that maybe are going the other way at the end of last year. You guys made a really significant step. Like it was obvious just watching without all the detail that you have to look at things, just watching the games, you go, wow, they're way better than they were. How do you not get fooled by the tail end of that? And maybe you just answered partly, but how do you, how do you not get fooled by that and say, oh, we're, we're better in one area and we don't have to address it because yeah. now it's a whole new year. You know what, Ray? It's a, I, I think the important part is to really be able to be honest and focus on what the process of our games are. And what I mean by that is you can get, like you said, you can get really focused on results one way or the other. You know, you can get focused on look at the, what our record was or, you know, and you forget, or you, maybe you miss what's the most, you know, crucial thing is actually the process of your game and how you're having success or if you're, why you're having success. So I think for me, it was to have honest, you know, look as we kind of entered the off season, what we did well, what we didn't do, did do well, really good communication with the coaching staff and, you know, our management team to say, okay, where are areas we need to really, you know, focus in on, and what I felt was the process of our game was trending the right way. And if we continue to build that and push that, the results will continue to get better and better. So the other piece of that, though, is you can also get, what's the right way to say it? You can get a little bit ahead of yourselves, I think, and say you want to accelerate the development of your team and hit fast forward. And I don't believe that works. You know, I, I think you have to stay disciplined. And we've tried to do that to the vision of what we're building here identifying a core, building around the right type of people. And the example I would use is you can go out and find maybe a centerman at the start of the year that's 30 years old, that's maybe a little bit ahead in experience and maybe a little bit ahead of a player like a Dylan Cousins, say, because Dylan's 20 years old at the time or 21. But if you do that, you are risking putting Dylan in the situations he needs to be in to accelerate his development. And that's what we've tried to be really mindful of here is you don't want to throw guys to the wolves and just, you know, sink or swim. You want to protect them, but you also need them to gain the experience. And I think that's where I'm really impressed with what Donnie Granato and the coaching staff have done. <laughs> Donnie has a very rare ability to look at today and how do you win a hockey game and how do you help our players get better, but also look at the big picture and see where we need to get to and help guys get experiences to grow. So that brings me to Rasmus Dahlin, you know, when he was drafted, he was so far ahead as the number one pick. I remember that year at the World Junior and prior to his draft and everybody's like, oh, you got to watch this kid. And he was so big and he was skating past and around and through people. And, and it took him some time. How do you, what's the, the ideal way to shut out the noise for probably in Buffalo too, but all around the game, people saying, oh, I don't think he can be what we thought he was going to be. He's not the player he was. Well, everybody's on a different path and man, he's just exploded is, you know, we'll get into late, you know, like he's, he's a legit Norris trophy candidate. He's having an amazing year. How do you be patient with all of that? 
because you got three other defensemen that are kind of in the same boat with Power and Samuelson. I mean, they're different players, but man, you guys are so young back there. Yeah, you know, it's a it's for me, Rasmus Dahlin, you start with the ingredients of what you know it takes to be a truly elite player in this league. And that's talent, right? You know, you have to have a certain level of talent to be at that absolute top of the pyramid, which Rasmus does. And everybody's seen that from day one. That's why he was a number one pick. But Rasmus also has an incredible ability to want to be the best and dissect his game and, and push himself. And he has an intensity about it that and a passion for the game and wanting to learn and grow and be better. So those are really important. But I, to be honest with you, when you're 18, 19, 20, and you have the weight of the world on your shoulders and you have expectations, when you have what I just mentioned, it actually can work against you in the beginning mm-hmm. because you're feeling so much. I want it now. I want it today. I want to be the best in the world today. And you guys know that's not typically how it works when you're that young. So there's been a lot of conversations and honest back and forth with, with Rasmus. I mean, that's certainly my style and Donnie's as well to help him understand that we're here, we're going to, we're going to support you. We're going to set you up for success. You keep just being you and your, your gifts, your genius is going to start to come. And that's what started happening as you saw it last season. And from day one of the season, I mean, he's just been tremendous. And I think the other little piece of that is he's, he's a man now he's 20, you know, 22 years old. He's, he's a big, strong kid where, you know, 18, 19, 20, you're still growing into your body and the physicality that he wanted to, wants to play with every night. Maybe his body wasn't ready for that yet, you know, those ages. So we're excited about him. And I agree with you. He's been, he's been right up there for me with, you know, top players in the league and, you know, consistently a difference maker every night for him. Well, big part of the nucleus, young nucleus of the Buffalo Sabres. Sabres GM Kevin Adams, our guest on the Rain Regs podcast. Kevin, if the Sabres are going to be active between now and the March 3rd trade deadline, how critical is it to add maybe an age-specific piece, right? I mean, everybody talks about depth, either depth on defense, depth up front, and that Maybe that'll be dictated by where you're at in the standings, you know, as you get closer to March 3rd. But if if you're going bigger than that, it's it's imperative, isn't it, that you get that piece that is going to grow with Darlene and power and all the young young pieces you already have. Absolutely. I mean, you said it exactly right, Dregs. Like you, you know, for us where we're at right now in our evolution as a team and organization and growth, we need players that can grow with us, you know, and it's I'm you know, on the phone every day, we're talking, making sure that we're aware of what's out there and mm-hmm. want to be in on conversations. We wake up every day thinking, how do we improve this this team and organization? But it also doesn't make sense for us to do it in a short term. You know, this this player may help us today, but it's going to set us back in the long run because we've either given up assets that not, you know, that we need down the road. So it's a balancing act. But for us to be active and look to acquire a player, we want to see them grow with us. And the, the simple example I'll give you is um, maybe a, maybe a pickup that goes under the radar. But when we claimed Tyson Jost on waivers, mm. you know, this was a player that we felt 24 years old, um, already played at 350 games of NHL, NHL experience, grew up in the Colorado organization where he saw a team yeah. go from, you know, that built through the draft and, you know, has had success and we, the pedigree and all that mattered. But he was also a player that we felt like, can grow with us. You know, he's not at the tail end. He's just at this great age in his career. And he's been tremendous for us since we've picked him up. But that just gives you a little bit of the mindset, kind of why we did it, mm-hmm. and kind of how we're looking at things moving forward. 
Now, you probably can't or won't <laughs> say too much, but <laughs> you've got this bizarre, well, rare, rare is the word that we'll use, spot coming up at, you know, pretty soon here with you've got two goaltenders that are terrific prospects, both of them in college, both of them coming out at the same time. <laughs> and that's really not ideal. Somebody's going to feel like, hey, wait a minute, I'm, you know, I'm the left shoe here. I'm I'm the one that's, you know, so you've got, you know, you've got in Buffalo, you've got Eric Comrie, who started great, got hurt, now is back. Ukapaka Lukanen, who was your pick from a few years ago, is really seemingly coming to the spot where he's now on that trajectory with that age group you're talking about. You've got Craig Anderson, who's been an amazing mentor, but has played really good goal. And then you've got the two college kids, Devin Levi and Eric Petrello. How do you navigate that around the deadline? Because certainly you don't want to lose one of Levi or Petrello for nothing. And Petrello can do that in the summer. So how do you navigate that, Kevin? Yeah, that's, if I zoom out for a second, and when you look at the, the bigger picture of, of our goaltending situation, I think it's why having patience is, is so critical in these situations and, and having belief in the people in your system and the, where you see players you think they can get to. And I'll, and I'll explain what that means in a second. So there was a lot of talk in our market of like, okay, can you, should you go out and sign a UFA goalie? And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that going and signing a guy that to a long deal or a big deal. Uh, But what I wanted to make sure we protected against was a situation that we held a player like Uka Pekalukanen back by doing that. And what's happened now is because of the injury to Comrie, UPL's had a chance to come in and develop and he's, he's starting to look like he has that confidence and aura that he can go into any building and any team and just be comfortable playing, you know, give us a chance to win games. So I really like that piece and where he's at in his progression. Craig Anderson, you mentioned has been like just such a changer for our organization in terms of his mentorship. And it's like having another coach, to be honest with is I watch practice every day, he pulls players aside and Hey, look, do this. Or it's just so much experience. And Eric Comrie is, first of all, a phenomenal human being and all that we expected him to be in the work ethic. And we, we think he's a really good NHL goalie. It's been a little bit of a tricky situation with the injury and kind of getting back in. But we're excited about him moving forward. You, as, you, as you now, you kind of look at what you're talking about. You know, there's, I've said this before, and I'll probably say it a lot of times. There's a lot of challenging decisions you make as a general manager and, you know, an or, with an organization. I call these good problems. You like good problems because bad problems are take over and drain you. These are good challenges or good problems to have. At the NHL level right now, we feel like we have three goaltenders that can play well and win hockey games. From a prospect standpoint, you look at the way that those two have played in college and the body of work they've done, tremendous. Ideally, we'd like to sign both of those guys and they'd be part of our future. I think that's great. Now, we believe that Devin Levi is just spectacular fit for us is the way he carries himself his professionalism already and i think this is a player that's that's going to do some special things in this league but we're not going to rush him we're going to take our time there with him and eric's eric's a guy that has put in you know good body of work in michigan we're going to look at the situation if if we're going to we're going to continue to talk but if there's a way we have to do something in and around the trade deadline, then we'll look to do that as well. So we'll, we'll, we're on top of it. We're if good conversations. We'll manage it. And, you know, I'm falling under the good problem category. I'll take these all day. Well, it's funny when I watched Devin Levi the first time at the World Juniors, 
maybe it's because of his height and everybody was talking about it. I, you know, right away you look at UC Soros and I think if any goaltender is six feet or right around six feet. The patron saint is UC Soros to go up and say to every man, see, he can do that. <laughs> I can do that too. And I was really, really quite impressed with how for not a big guy, he presents really big in the net. He does. And I think, you know, I'm going to explain something that actually I didn't even realize until this summer. He's, you know, he's six foot, but he has like 40 inch waist or over a 40 inch waist, which is wow. super interesting. Other than the fact he's going to have to get his suits tailored. Like yeah. he, he has an explosiveness and a thickness to him that I think matches up when you watch him play his, your eye because of how crisp and quick and explosive he is. So yeah, I've never been a guy that's been obsessed with size and goaltenders. Like, yeah, it's great. Like someone's six, six and they're athletic and they're big, but we just really want good goaltenders and regardless of the size. And you can go down the list in the NHL history. There's been plenty of guys that aren't monsters that are pretty elite goaltenders in this league. Kevin, last one for me. Buffalo's such a unique place. It's a small community that the people that are there, that live there, that stay involved in the community, they just they just love it. They just they love the tightness of Western New York and and Buffalo. The Sabres and the Bills, of course, are connected through the ownership group, the Pagulas. But there seems to be something different there, like the support from one to the other. It's it's mm. really notable. It's really noticeable. And do you guys do you guys talk about it, or is it just natural? Or because it it's it's not just the injury and support for Denny Hamlin and that it's not that it's all of it and it's really really pretty impressive to see well you know what I'm glad you brought it up because I feel very um passionate about this and fortunate to call Buffalo home and you know being uh growing up here I think I have a little bit of maybe an advantage coming into this job of truly understanding what the fan base is about and the Sabres and Bills are part of the DNA of this town they care they're passionate. They want to see a certain uh, work ethic and passion for the game with their sports teams. And I've talked over and over again about us being connected to our community, connect, connected to our fans, them embracing what they're seeing, and also us reciprocating that back and giving to the community and being part of it. Now, the circumstances that have gone on in Buffalo over the last number of months have been... Yeah devastating in some ways and also makes all of us take a step back and realize that what we do just isn't that important at the end of the day you know from what happened in the summer at top with the shooting to the, the the devastating weather that's happened and people losing lives and you know then certainly the bill situation these are really tough things that have gone on in this community but what has happened is there is a absolute bond between the Bills and Sabres from starting with ownership that owns both teams. Myself and Brandon have become close friends and share best practices, talk all the time, and I pick his brain. I mean, a lot of stuff that I've dealt with in my first three years as GM, I've bounced off Brandon and just kind of, you know, picked his brain and how would you handle this and why? And I, Sean and Donnie have become good friends. We're all, we all text each other all the time, you know, checking in the players have connected. I mean, our guys went to the opening game or the second game of the year. I can't remember jerseys on their players come to our games all the time. And what's really special about it is with both teams, the players are part of the community and that is not something you always see. And it just, to me, 
is what makes it so special. So yeah, I get choked up thinking about it, honestly, because it's really powerful and just, I feel thankful and lucky to be part of it. Well, we can tell you that uh, the rest of the, not just sporting world, the world period can see that and to a degree can, can feel it, you know, based on the reporting, the atmosphere on the bills, the atmosphere around the Buffalo Sabres. So keep it rolling, Kevin. Thanks for doing this. And uh, here's hoping we'll check back towards the latter part of the regular season. And uh, maybe, maybe not to jinx you, be talking about playoff hockey. So <laughs> well, I sure hope so. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. And anytime you need me, I'm, I'm always available. And, you know, we'll see you around. Thanks a lot, Kevin. All the best, eh? All right. Take care, guys. And we'd like to raise a glass of the Fine Chronicles series CC to Kevin Adams of the Buffalo Sabres for joining us today, presented by Canadian Club. It is the Final Chronicles series. The 45-year-old release is now available everywhere. And, I mean, you, you've you known Kevin Adams a long time, right? You know, certainly as, as a player, I've gotten to know him as an NHL general manager. And there's a calmness and confidence about him now that only comes with experience but you know I think of Adams I think of Billy Garen I think of Rob Blake I mean youngish general managers the difference of course Blakey worked in management Billy Garen worked under Jimmy Rutherford in management I mean Kevin Adams was thrown the keys and a mess to go with it by the, the parent company which is owned by the Pagulas and said all right bud you're the general manager. You've got to deal with coaching. That's going to be a challenge. You've got to rebuild this roster. It's not going to be easy. And yet he's managed to to find a way to do it and has done an exceptional job, I would say, along the way. He's done a remarkable job in a relatively short period of time. Uh, you're right. The keys came with a mess. Yeah. Uh, you know, hadn't been in the playoffs forever, kind of lost direction. A little bit of We'll fix it this way. We'll fix it this way. I, I've always called it the no plan plan. And then, you know, like the road keeps changing and you, you get lost each time you change directions. Kevin came out basically running the Buffalo amateur hockey through the hockey programs of the Pagulas. And so clearly being a Buffalo resident, they knew him. There was a relationship there and they trusted him. Yeah. And I remember when Kevin was hired, there was a lot of, chatter when you look, talk around the ranks of man, this guy what's he gonna do how's he gonna run a team he does he's never managed anything before like a lot of things you you make a, an evaluation of something you don't know about and then you start to see it in in actuality and you're like oh this guy's got a good way about him he's got mm. he's smart he's a no you know he's got he seems to have a plan i i find him really impressive to listen to i also find their their roadmap really appealing so they had a couple of things going. They had about a million draft picks that they could draft players with. But their one view, this is the one thing I, I think make, made him so unique and how he and Donnie Granato uh, fit is that, and Kevin touched on it, they were not going to acquire a veteran that was going to roadblock the development of a younger player, even if that cost them a yeah. little bit in the near term. They needed... Dylan Cousins, as he used an example, to make mistakes. They needed him to get run over a little bit by some more experienced centermen because then he was going to grow and they were going to find out what he was going to be. Same with Rasmus Dahlin and then Matthias Samuelson and Henry Yokoharu. And, you know, and then they get Owen Power here. They weren't putting veterans in front. And maybe the position most important was in goal. They said, we got to find out what these young guys can do. 
And, and I just find that the discipline and the patience to do that really, really impressive. And they're starting to come out the other side of it. And man, they're, they're fun to watch. They really are. And they're going to be good. They already so are good. fun to watch. They're be really good. Yeah. I mean, you know, we don't cheer for teams. Well, most of us don't cheer for teams. You do cheer for individuals. But in this case, there's a lot to look forward to from the Buffalo Sabres. So thanks again to uh, Sabres GM Kevin Adams for joining us here on the Rain Riggs podcast. All right. Time for our final visit this week with Chris Abbott. Presentation of Botano.ca, now available in Ontario. And remember, Botano reminds us the game starts now. We've got Ray Ferraro, who we've talked about in the podcast, who's positioned in Edmonton, ready for another big match. And there's Chris Abbott. And then Abs, Ray just automatically volunteered on Tuesday to pick the NFL divisional game of the weekend. So, Ray, let's let's start with the NFL, and then we're going to shift over to the NHL with a major trophy kind of expectation, if not prognostication, of what might become in the Norris Trophy stake. So let's start with football, Ray. Well, I volunteered due to you guys as an aptitude to pick the the game. I, as you can tell, I'm a good winner, you know, humble. And um, so, anyways, looking through the games, <laughs> I take Dallas and San Francisco. Lots of lots of historical points to look at with the Cowboys and the 49ers and um uh but Dallas gets three and a half over under I saw is 45 and a half and I told mm-hmm. you it's playoffs you don't fool around with teasers but yeah this week I'm gonna tease this game so <laughs> I have some really hard and fast gambling rules and this is one of them so I'm gonna pump Dallas to nine and a half and I'm gonna go over 39 and a half and so that is my uh that is my call nice aggressive abs well, I, I do like that. I think Dallas might be getting a little bit of a bump from their performance against Tampa and Tom Brady. And, yeah. and really, the Bucks weren't that good all year. I faded Brock Purdy last week. I'll never yeah. do it again. This is a really solid 49ers team. I thought the difference in the Tampa game was certainly the, the defensive versus offensive line play. And San Francisco's got, got a lot more to offer when it comes there. So... I'm going to, and I hate it, but I'm going to lay the three and a half with the 49ers. I'm sure I'll get my heart broken somehow or another. But I do think there will be points in this game as well, Ray. And uh, listen, you get every every right to to rag on us. I think the best teammates in the world are the ones who can recognize their place. And I'm recognizing yeah. my place this season. And I'll just take it. I'll take it. I'll use it as motivation for training camp next year. Well, look. I teased Chris Abbott before the segment started, but I'm just going to ride his coattails because I'm narrowly ahead of you in the overall season standings. I cannot bet on the Dallas Cowboys. I lost a hundred bucks to a buddy of mine last week. I don't know. I mean, it was a ridiculous sentimental thing with, with Tom Brady. I thought he would find a way and he obviously didn't. So I can't go to the Cowboys this week. I may eventually have to get there. We'll see. But for me, it's, it's the 49ers as well. So, Ray, you're either coming back to the pack or this will be, I mean, the competition could be over. Is it over already? I don't even know how many games. Stone cold lock right here. You know what's going to happen? happen? We're all going to win. There you go. Okay. All right. We could all all win, but we could also all lose. Let's not be like that. Well, as I teased, Chris, uh, you know, let's let's wait a week, get through the weekend, and then we'll revisit the Super Bowl favorites because you've talked about that on on the segment before. You've talked about Stanley Cup favorites, and we've gone through most of the major awards, but you brought up a, a curious one, and it's getting a little bit of play now because you've got a group of defensemen who are legitimately in the conversation as candidates for the Norris Trophy. 
One of those, obviously, is Kale McCarr. But at the start of the season, I think it was fair. Most of us would have said, well, he's got to be the leader going in. And is that the case or it's not the case? Well, he's still the leader. And I think it was an award that not many people talked about in the preseason. Like sometimes like, oh, who, you know, who's going to get the most goals? Who's going to be the MVP? Does McDavid get it just for being McDavid? But I think everybody was kind of like, yeah, Kale McCarr is going to win the Norris Trophy if he doesn't get hurt. And I'll tell you a guy who definitely wasn't on anybody's lips. And that's the guy in second on the odds board right now in Eric Carlson. So McCars plus 225, Eric Carlson plus 350. Now, we do know that the nostalgia narrative loves to go around in sports. So I don't know. There might be there might be something there for Eric Carlson. Then you got the other guys like Adam Fox and Josh Morrissey coming up behind. But it's I think it's gonna be really interesting to watch yeah. in the in the you know the official second half of the season after the all-star break to see to see how that plays out. Do you guys have any thoughts? Mm-hmm. Uh I, I think Carlson's having an amazing year. I I actually love when somebody recaptures yeah you know, their their previous brilliance because there's been a few years here where Carlson's health has just totally deteriorated to the point he doesn't even look the same whether he was uninterested as well I'm not sure but whatever it is he looks amazing mm. on a not very good sharks team so that's yeah. interesting and I've long said I think there's more offense in Josh Morrissey and you know in junior he was quite a he was quite a productive player and then he got to the yeah. NHL and I think he settled into a more defensive type role this year. He's just exploded out and I'm, he's a good guy and I'm, I'm happy to see that he's having that type of year. Yeah, I'm with you, Ray. You know, not that you necessarily align those players, Chris. Morrissey to me, uh, you know, maybe it's a bit of a sentimental vote at this point, but he's right near the top and, and it's the whole story too, right? It's Rick Bonus sitting down with him prior to the start of the year and challenging him, saying, look, I think you're a Norris Trophy candidate. Here's what you have to do to get there. So uh, that's a good list, something we'll keep an eye on. Anyway, you're traveling abs. Uh, Ray is in a hotel room, so we'll let everybody uh, get back at it. Safe travels, and we'll check back with you on Tuesday. Hey, thanks so much, guys. We'll see you next week, and uh, let's go Niners. All right, Ray, and uh, as a reminder, and people listening don't know you're in Edmonton, we're telling them that you're in Edmonton. For ESPN. We didn't talk about it in the headlines, but the Yessi Pooley RV situation with the Oilers is an interesting one. I'm one of the few that, look, I understand the frustration with Pooley RV, but I'm one of the few that does give Kenny Holland some credit for being as patient as he's been with this individual. I mean, if the right trade had been presented, of course, Holland would have moved Pooley RV to this point, but he sees something in Yessi Pooley RV that maybe Oilers fans don't see, a lot of people don't see, doesn't mean he's not going to trade him. But he's recently healthy scratch. So in your mind, would you just cut bait or would you try and continue to salvage an asset? Well, I I think the biggest problem becomes as you you look at Puyi Arvey and his road through Edmonton here, the expectations were so great drafted at number three, the MVP of the World Junior Tournament. Uh, People think at that size that, he was going to be, um, you know, a scorer or a power forward. And it's just not worked that way. Certainly yeah. this year, it's fallen apart for him. Uh, are you going to be able to qualify him? He makes $3.5 million, probably not. He's no. talked about, he did an interview about two months ago about maybe I'm not an NHL player. Maybe I should just go home. So yeah, there's, that's tough. And I, I think there's some real disappointment and almost a sadness that it's it's not worked out from both Puyi Arvey and in Edmonton, there's, you know, in the, around the fan base, he's a really polarizing players. Some people really like him. Some people just, they're, they're done. They're, we can't wait anymore. 
If I'm another team, though, I think there's a player there. I think a fresh start and a new set of eyes and a new expectation, I think there's a player. I don't think he's a top-line player, but I think he can be a third-line player. Well, that means you're at a different salary level. Can you make a deal and have Pouye Arby and his agent understand that it's a different salary level? Because yeah. if you can, I do think there's a player there. I really Hit do. Hit a reset. Hit think, a reset. Yeah. Yep, I just don't think it's in Edmonton. And so if the Oilers are looking to improve somewhere at the deadline, maybe they attach a mid-round draft pick to Pouye Arby to move the money out because there's no guarantee they're going to get the acquiring team would, would sign them and Edmonton can get cap room and then they can make a move that they maybe need to make. So it's really a, it's hard because these players are so young yet it gets late early. You know, yeah. yeah. Dr. Yogi Berra gets eight late early and <laughs> other like, we got to, we got to change. We got to, you can't just have that money on your books and get three goals in 42 games. All right, we'll let you get back to your game prep. And uh, I guess you're heading home. It's not that far away. Edmonton, Vancouver, not that big of a deal, huh? Yeah, and then I turn around on Sunday. Yeah, turn around on Sunday and come back for, got a game in Calgary on Monday. So going to get home for the weekend, watch the boys play soccer, and uh, actually probably watch the Oilers on Saturday night too when they're in Vancouver. And and salt in some NFL coverage and football, obviously, right? You need a big bet on the Well, that's coach time, man. That's coach time. All right, buddy. Uh, yeah, doing that. You have a great have a great weekend as well, everybody. Thanks for listening and uh, enjoy enjoy your weekend. Yep. Thanks to our partners who make the podcast possible. Our title sponsor, good friends at Canadian Club, who ask, "Are you over beer? Boston Pizza, pick it up, get it delivered to your door. Just let Boston Pizza do your cooking tonight." Botano.ca now available in Ontario. The game starts now. And by doer, use code RND pants to save fifteen percent off everything at doer.ca. That is episode 34 of the Rain Drakes Hockey Podcast. Enjoy your weekend, and we will be back Tuesday for episode 35.